Um, I don't know about you, but in middle school and high school, I was a leaner, a leaner at dances. Anybody else a leaner? Come on, let's give it up. Everyone own it. Confession is good for the soul. Raise your hand if you were a leaner. Okay, a leaner is somebody who, while the dancing was going on, you just leaned against the wall. You didn't dare go out there and dance, right? I wanted to dance. Maybe you did too. I wanted to, but one, I was afraid of the turn down, right? Man, that's embarrassing. And I, I even got turned down. To, I learned this behavior. I learned to be fearful because even of the girls that were also leaning to get turned down by that, that's super embarrassing. But there was one thing that was like even more scary to me, and that was acceptance because that brought a whole other list of potential humiliations if she said yes, because now I got to dance. And what if, what if I had to, my moves don't come together, people? What if she's really good at dancing and I'm not? What if they play the wrong song? I mean, I'm ready for boogie fever. I'm ready for Family Affair by Sly. But if they play Baby, Baby, Don't Get Hooked on Me by Mac Davis, how can you dance to that? You cannot dance to that. Maybe some of you could. I couldn't. So, so I leaned. Um, middle school and high school anxieties, right? Maybe I made your hands sweat just thinking about that. And unfortunately for me, I graduated from high school in 1975. Uh, they actually had schools back then. We went in a little covered wagon. Um, but um, Cool in the Gang didn't come out with Get Down On It until 1981, so I couldn't even get the boost from the How You Gonna Do It If You Really Don't Wanna Dance by Standing On The Wall. Tell me. If I could just do Tell Me, like if that, if that would be my whole recording uh, you know, career, I would love to be able to be the guy that said, tell me. <laughs> Nobody asked me to do that, though. Um, interestingly, there's some great theology in that song. Because there are leaners in Christianity, too, folks. We want to get out and dance. We want to do something but we're afraid. We're afraid of failure. And um, so our back stays on the wall. You know, Gideon was a leaner. And if you're just joining us, uh, we've been looking at the life of Gideon. And we've subtitled this study of his life, When Life Seems Bigger Than You. And just to catch you up, Gideon uh, lived during the period of the judges. He's... he's uh, called by an angel of the Lord to free the Israelites from the oppression of these tribes that are to the east of them, the Malachites, the Midianites, and they keep rushing into uh, their area and stealing their food and kind of leaving them destitute, and they can never get up. They can never move on. And so God says to Gideon, I want you uh, to be the guy that leads the Israelites to conquer these people. Now, sometimes when we look at, uh, you know, characters in the Old Testament, they seem larger than life, but Gideon's not. This is, this is huge to him. And um, he's just super reluctant to step into this role. 
thus far we've looked at how he interacts with the angel of the Lord, and, and we've learned some things. First of all, we see from the way God deals with him is that God, God believes in you more than you believe in yourself. And that's true whether you think really highly of yourself or not. You cannot outbelieve God in you. When the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon, he calls him mighty warrior, and he's, he's hiding, threshing his grain down in a wine press, hiding from the Midianites. He's fearful. But then we also saw that uh, through Gideon's life that we can know what God wants us to do and that he's with us every step of the way. And we saw that Gideon is like, even in all of his insecurities, God keeps reassuring him through signs and, you know, uh, reminding him he can trust in him. And he just keeps telling him, look, all you have to do is take the next step. Take, take the step you can in the strength you have. And God just continues to reassure him. And then last week, Jed just did such a great job of that time when, like, even though this thing before you is way bigger than you, then God makes it even worse. He, he pairs it down. He says, you got to take, you, can, you can't have that many soldiers with you. And Gideon's at a loss for words. He doesn't, he doesn't even know what to say. He just feels so under the pile. Today, though, I want you to see that the time has come for Gideon to act. It's time for Gideon to stop leaning and get his back up off the wall. And in Judges 7-9, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. So remember how reluctant he's been and all the excuses he's had, and God just keeps like giving him that confidence, reassuring him. And now the Lord is saying, Okay, it's time. Enough talk. It's time to do something. Unfold your arm. It's time. So if, if you can connect to that, if, if you're in a place in your life where there's just a thing in front of you and you don't know what to do and you kind of feel stuck, I don't know, but it might be time for you to go, to get up and go. I would put it this way. This is the main thought for today. There comes a time when you must get up and go. There just comes a time. I don't know if, that's, if it's your time right now, but it might be. If that thing in front of you is bigger than you think you can handle, if you have a major transition coming, maybe you're thinking about breaking off a relationship and you're all worried about there will be no other relationship next. Maybe you're in the middle of a relationship and you're, you're considering, uh, you know, breaking that off. Or maybe you're thinking about reengaging in relationships after a lot of hurt and pain that's gone on in your life. Maybe you have to make a decision and you're kind of stuck in that analysis paralysis, you know. You just don't know what to do. You're, a lot of you students are picking your university right now. Some of you have major changes coming. You're thinking about moving, not moving. There's all these things that come at us day in and day out, just decisions that we have to make. This message is for you. This message is for the person that, for you, Christianity has become this thing that you think about only. 
that you, it's become a creed that you keep, but like on Monday morning, that faith that, you, that is so important to you intellectually, it has no impact on Monday for you. There's no due to your faith. You know, James said that faith without works is dead. This is for everybody who feels stuck. Sometimes you just have to get up and go. And I think that we're going to be able to learn some things from Gideon about this. So if you feel stuck, number one, get as much clarity as possible about your decision. Get as much clarity as possible about your decision. That's what happens for Gideon. God gives him one more reassurance. He, feel, he gives him one last puzzle piece to fit the whole thing together. And in verse 10, he says, If you're afraid to attack, after all this, go down to the camp with your servant Parah and listen to what they are saying. Overhear their conversations. And afterwards, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. Just take this one more step and be encouraged. And in so doing, God isn't minimizing the challenge, you'll see. It's not like he's just going to live in la-la land. It's like, let's just go do this thing without reality. In verse 12, as they start to see what they're, you know, as they approach the camp, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, and they were thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. I kind of picture this scene like in The Wizard of Oz when the Tin Man, uh, Scarecrow, and Lion are like, they're on that cliff and they're looking down into uh, the Wicked Witch's palace. You guys all remember this, right? And, and the lion is going off. He's like, I'm going to tear him apart bit by bit. <laughs> <laughs> There's this one thing I want you fellas to do for me. What's that, lion? Talk me out of it. That's pretty good, isn't it? You think? <laughs> Amazing talents that you did not know that I had. So it's way worse than he could even imagine. But in verse 13, as they arrive, as they get close... Just as a man is telling a friend his dream, he's overhearing a conversation among the Midianites. He said, I had a dream. I he was saying, a, a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp, and it struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. And his friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. So here's what happens. He, over, see, he overhears this conversation and he realizes that there's anxiety among them about this thing. And it boosts his confidence. And it comes in the weirdest way, this dream of this giant loaf of bread rolling into the camp, pummeling all of their tents. You know, this is where gluten-free got started, I think. <laughs> because you have this like, Bread is bad. It's going to destroy you. And I just want to point out that, you know, the picture here isn't a bundle of kale coming down into the camp. It's big, powerful bread. That's good preaching, I would say. But, you know, this wouldn't have worked on me because I'd have just been like, hey, let's get out the butter. It's time to have a gluten party. But I digress. 
God had already put all this insecurity into the Midianites. And when Gideon, in verse 15, heard this dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. He's like, God, just thank you for that one last piece that I needed. I bet you God has done that for you before. Like just, oh yeah, that last piece, that last piece of advice, that last Bible verse, that last thought, that dream. It's like, okay, I feel better about this now. And he worshiped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hand. So the, the angel tells Gideon this, he gets his confidence boosted, and he goes back and he says to everybody else, hey, this is, this is our time. And he just needed that one last little step, that one last little piece to gain confidence for this next big challenge. You know, if, if you're looking for that, that last piece, like you, you just need some confidence in, in how to make this decision in front of you, you know, you might get a dream of a loaf of bread. I don't know. But I want to just do a sidebar about how you can get that clarity about the thing that you're stressing over. And this is in your notes. How to get clarity, number one, search the scriptures. Search the scriptures. You know, the Bible is going to give you direction. It's going to give you guidance. It's not going to say, thou shalt move to Idaho or something like that, something weird. But it is going to give you, like, direct uh, like ways to live. It's gonna, you're going to gather principles from that. And it's really remarkable um, how often we make decisions without ever considering what the Scripture tells us. The psalmist says that the Word of God is a lamp to his feet and light to his path. It guides us. It comforts us. Search the Scriptures. Number two, access wisdom. Access Wisdom, Proverbs 1, 3 says that wisdom instructs us how to make decisions that are right, just, and fair. And isn't that what we want to do? There's wisdom in the Bible. There's wisdom from people that you respect. Get advice. And by the way, don't just seek advice from someone who's going to patronize you and tell you everything's okay. Make sure that you talk to someone who will cut it straight with you. And then, as I've said before, I've stole this, this question from Andy Stanley, but it's the best question ever. If you're looking to make a decision, you should ask yourself this question. Uh, in light of my past experiences, my current situation, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? And when you ask that question, it puts everything in alignment to point you in the direction that your life has been leading to. Thirdly, you should pray. Pray about making the right decision, but also pray about becoming the right person. And when you pray, do as much listening as you do talking. Often I've found in, in praying about a decision that God reveals to me the difference between being complacent or content. You know, complacence, complacency is just like you say, well, like, why try? It's like, you know, it's not worth it. They're not going to change. They won't listen. This decision won't work out. It's just going to make everybody mad. It's like, you know, I could never accomplish this. That's complacency. But then there's another place of not moving, which is contentment. And that's like God has me here in this place for a reason. And I, it's not time to move yet. Prayer can help you discern that. 
And then lastly, decide. Make a decision. Um, and don't overcomplicate it. If, if you've searched the scripture, if you've sought wisdom, if you've prayed, and if this thing that you're considering can be done for the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10.31, you're free to make that decision or not. But just make a decision. And don't over-spiritualize it and beat it to death. All four of these come, so I think I've put this in your notes as well, it comes from a book that I would recommend if you're really looking to find God's will in your life. Just Do Something by Kevin DeYoung. He takes a really unique approach to finding God's will. So I stole that. That's what I'm pointing out to you. So once you achieve clarity, the second thing is to pursue faithfulness instead of greatness. Pursue, pursue faithfulness instead of greatnesses, greatness. Because if you put great before faithful, it's going to lead you down the wrong path. Number one, it's going to make you susceptible to all kinds of comparisons that tell you you're a failure when you're not. To put great before faithful will create resentment in you. And you'll, you'll, when you look at the success of others, and you'll compare your achieve, achievements to their achievements. It will make you feel less than if God's place for you right now is just the mom life, just the dad life. If you're looking to be great rather than faithful, you're going to, you're going to feel a lot of discontent about where God has you. And in the end, being great is all self. Being great is, is completely self-focused. If we put great before faithful, you won't just think you're a failure when you're not. The opposite could happen. You could think that you're great when you're not. You know, if, if you end up becoming wealthy or powerful you could think that, well, that must mean I'm awesome. It doesn't necessarily mean you're awesome. If you've, if you've jettisoned your Christian faith along the way. If you're seeking fame, you're just going to be constantly trying to seek everyone else's approval. And that's going to lead you down the wrong path. You're going to be constantly focused on making yourself great rather than realizing how great God is. And if you put great before faithful, it puts the whole burden on you. You've got to be great. And so now you've got to figure out what is great. And you've got to compete with all the other greatness. And, and the pressure's on you. If you mess this moment up, you will not be great and you will fail. And therefore now you are a failure. All of us want to, it's like, it's, like a, it's like a good thing and a bad thing. You know, I want to be a great pastor. I want to be a great communicator. But really, God's called me to be faithful. I'm always, you know, like, at every message, there's always someone who has, like, some constructive criticism for me. And then there's somebody who tells me, that was a great message. And, you know, it's very, like, schizophrenic in my mind. And, but... You know, I even look for approval from my wife, Cindy. She's my greatest fan and my greatest critic. And typically, we'll, you know, we'll go home and I'll be eating a grilled cheese and I'll be waiting. Like, hey, sweetie, that was an amazing message. Oh, yeah. 
And sometimes, though, it doesn't come. And so, like, I, you know, I get my whole sandwich eaten, all my chips, my pickle. Even thinking about eating some fruit. And finally, I can't take it anymore. It's like, so what would you think of the message? And if it starts with, well, <laughs> man... Monday's preacher suicide day, I can tell you that, man. It's like, oh, I just feel so depressed. I can't wait to talk next Sunday to overcome that big egg I laid. But what has God called us to be? Faithful, not great. Gideon's not thinking about greatness here. He, he's not up at 2 a.m. watching uh, an infomercial about how you can be great. I've discovered the secrets to great. It's just three things, which always amazes me. You know, it's just three things. Wow. And you found them. Awesome. Um, he's, not, he's not looking to be great. Remember how this all got started. The angel of the Lord came to him and said, I need you to do something. In Judges 7, 9, get up and go down against the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands is how the point he's at now. And, and so now that he's down to it, what is Gideon's job? Is it to be great? It's not. God says to him, Gideon, Gideon I need you to do a thing and I'll be great in it. Here's something that I recently read from Sing Yang Tan. He wrote in a book titled Full Service. He's a professor at Fuller Seminary. And he said this, instead of trying to do great things for God, do things for a great God. You see the difference? Instead of trying to do great things for God, do things for a great God. Because when we do that, we take the pressure off of ourselves. And we take the comparison out of it, and it's like the things that God has for me, do those things in the power of a great God. It's not, it's not laissez-faire. Like Solomon said, you know, whatever we find, we should do it with all of our might, whatever we find to do. But as um, Hebrews 13, 6 says, our confidence is in God. We say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. This thing that I have to do is just a thing. It might be a big, challenging thing. It might just be a basic thing. But that thing, I'm going to do through a great God. In this part of the story, who's the greatest, Gideon or the last of his 300 soldiers chosen? Can't, how can we tell? Because each one of them is doing the thing that God called them to do. Many of you uh, last weekend ran the L.A. Marathon, and you had visions of grandeur, right? I mean, some of you said, I'm going to do a great thing, and then you realize how hard that thing is, and in the end, he's like, okay, I'll just do a thing. I'll run a mile, and you know, you, you, like, you started clicking away, 20-minute 20, 20 walk, run, and then there was an even more challenging thing. It was almost worse than running a marathon, fundraising, and you just kept doing a thing through a great God. And because of your efforts, because you just did a thing, and then you did another thing, and you did another thing, we've raised over $100,000 for clean water in Africa last weekend. That's 2,000 people. Over twice as many people that will be on this campus this weekend 
will have clean water for a lifetime because you did a thing. You see, the gospel frees us from the be great trap. Because when you become a Christian, you're under new management. I bet some of you have gone from, like, the world's worst boss to an awesome boss. And how much did that change your life at work? Well, when you become a Christian, you get a new boss. And you're no longer enslaved to your culture, to the whim of politics, the whim of what is moral and what isn't anymore, what's right, what's wrong, what's success, what isn't, how a body should be shaped, the amount of education or career you should have, the house you're in, the car you drive, the way your kids look, the, you know, what your kids are accomplishing. All these things are things that our culture puts on us to be great. And the gospel frees us from that because it puts us under the management of Jesus Christ. Paul said that when we become Christians, we get a new identity. We change, but we also serve somebody entirely new. If you're considering being a Christian, I would almost ask, why wouldn't somebody be a Christian? Because the alternative is to serve something that changes constantly. And instead, I can be in a place living the life that the Creator has designed me to live. Is it Receiving the gospel isn't just like, you know, changing this list for that list. It's experiencing life in a whole new way with a new boss. And that new boss will free you from the enslavement of trying to satisfy all the people and the culture and our society and your, your office space and your circle of friends. It frees you from that. And you, you play for the audience of one. So you get clarity. You put faithfulness in front of greatness. And then lastly, realize you're perfectly positioned to accomplish the next thing God has for you. Realize that you are perfectly positioned to accomplish the next thing that God has for you. I'm going to read a lengthy part of Gideon's story, but just stick with me. I'll put the verses up on the screen. Judges 7, 16. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead, and when I get to the edge of the camp, do, as exactly, do exactly as I do. And when I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. In verse 19, Gideon, the hundred men with him, reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. And they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands, and the three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Now what I want you to see about this part is that this strategy is Gideon's. There's no indication here that the angel of the Lord sat Gideon down and said, okay, you're going to have a great victory. God's going to be in it, and here's exactly how you do it. 
Gideon picks strategy. It was up to his resourcefulness. And what his job to do is the leader of these 300 uh, warriors is to, one, give them a trumpet to blow, make sure that they had a jar to break and a torch to burn. And, you know, it must have been seen as a pretty decent plan because, you know, you don't have the typical head scratchers and beard strokers in there that's going, well, you know, I'm not sure if that's a really good plan there, Gideon. I got another plan that maybe we should do. It's like they all get behind it. It's a pretty good plan because it, it helps them overcome their weakness. They're far outnumbered. And so in doing this thing of, like, you know, hiding a light and then breaking that jar so that all the lights are exposed at once and the horn blows. They, they're just, they're overwhelmed. They, they think that they're, uh, you know, totally encircled. So it addresses all of their weaknesses. And it's just remarkable that everyone follows because that's not like the Israelites typically, right? If you read your Old Testament, it's not often like, you know, Christians sometimes. They all get behind Gideon. His lead is clear. His confidence is in God, but it's also in the fact that God has placed him in that role. Look what he says in verse 17. Watch me, he told them. Watch me. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. All of the experience, all of the history, all of Gideon's wiring, this all goes into this plan. God has strategically placed him for this time in this moment. He is perfectly positioned for what God has him to do, and so are you and I. It doesn't mean that we're the best, that we're like, you know, all that in a bag of chips, that we're the best person to make that decision. Uh, I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.27 when he says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. It's like just because you're in that position doesn't mean that you're the, the sharpest pencil in the box. But that's okay because your calling is affirmed by where God has you. And your calling, by the way, the opposite is true. Your calling is also not confirmed by where God does not have you. But if you're in that spot, whatever your role is, whatever, whatever spot God has you in with the thing in front of you, he has strategically placed you there because he wants you there, and your confidence can be in him. 2 Corinthians 3, 4, Paul says that such confidence as this is ours through Christ. I can have confidence that I'm the person that's supposed to do this thing because God put me here. And in that, you can move forward in what I call humble confidence. Humble because, no, you're not, there are plenty of people smarter than you at the thing that you're in front of. But God has you there. That's the confidence part. And so the humility part keeps you open. It keeps you from getting cocky. It keeps you from being overbearing. But the confidence part is that God has you there, not your friend, not the, not not another person, not the famous person at what you're deciding to do. He has you there. And you know, that, that idea of humble confidence has served me well, and I think it will serve you well. It has served me well throughout my life to realize that in this moment, I'm the dad, 
I'm the husband, I'm, I'm the chief, and I have decisions to make. And I feel so fearful sometimes, so insecure. Like there's, there's 10 people I can think of that would be better at this thing. But, but here's the thing. God has me here. He has you there. And so you can be confident that God has put you there. I don't know, you know, what's in front of you. Whether it's something to do with one of your kids, whether it's a career decision, maybe you're in a relationship and you have to make some decisions and and you just feel stuck, you feel lost. You're making career decisions. You're making church decisions. You're making spiritual decisions. You think that there's no way that you could be the person to talk to that person about your faith. There's somebody much smarter than you. It's like God has you there. You are perfectly positioned for what God wants you to do. And it will probably feel very overwhelming at times. And that's okay. Because your confidence is in God. And when you look at life that way, it's very freeing. The result here is that God uses Gideon to free the Israelites. All of this reassurance, all of these signs, all of this, you know, explaining and re-explaining and just take the next step, it's, and now it's time to act. And here's what happens because of his action in chapter 7, verse 21. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. Gideon had all kinds of fears. He had all kinds of questions. He constantly needed reassurance. But at this point, he stops worrying about all the naysayers. He stops worrying about, like, am I going to mess this up? Am I going to fail? And he places his confidence in the one who holds the future, and he makes a decision. He got up, and he got going. And God used him to do what only he could do. I want to wrap up my thoughts, and I want to tell you a story. Um, Many years ago, my oldest daughter had um, spent a couple years in junior college, and then she got the opportunity to go to a private college in Michigan, Hope College, fantastic college. I call it the Ivy League of the Midwest, and uh, she was going to go to nursing school. And if you know my daughter, she's very capable. Uh, she's a go-getter, and, um, but she's going to a place she didn't know anybody. She didn't know one student on campus. She's entering into a really tough and rigorous program, and I could tell. She was afraid. I was afraid for her. And um, I got this idea. I was listening to the radio one day, and I heard this song, and I thought, I know what I'm going to do. So um, as we, I got to drive across the country with her to Michigan. And when we made it to Nebraska or Iowa, where you could just drive straight, you know, Colorado's like this. You get to Iowa and Nebraska's like, nee, soybeans, corn, soybeans, corn. <laughs> if you're ever driving across the country, do Nebraska and Iowa at night. Do Colorado in the day. No disrespect to Iowans and Nebraskans. You have great football teams and wrestling. So 
I heard this song by Leanne Womack titled, I Hope You Dance. And so what I did is I said, okay, while we're driving, I just want you to hold my hand, and I want to play a song for you. And I just want you to listen to the words. And she already knew the song, but I just want you to listen to it while I hold your hand and hear the words. I hope you never lose your sense of wonder. You get your fill to eat, but always keep that hunger. May you never take one single breath for granted. God forbid love ever leaves you empty-handed. I hope you still feel small when you stand beside the ocean. Whenever one door closes, I hope one more opens. Promise me that you'll give faith a fighting chance. And when you get the choice to sit it out or dance, I hope you dance. Give the heavens above more than just a passing glance. And when you get the choice to sit it out or dance, dance. And you know what? She did. I don't know what's going on in your life, but for many of you, there's something that just seems way bigger than you. It seems beyond your skill set and your capacity, your ability to endure. But God is with you. Some of you, you're here this morning and, you know, your faith is just kind of like stale and stagnant and it's just, it's become a thing that you just critique with. But, but on Monday morning, your faith isn't vibrant when you go to work or when you take your kids to school or you serve in the community. Or, but it's like your faith isn't alive because it's just all in here and it's not coming out here. For some of you, and I can't tell you when that is, it's time to get up and go. It's time to stop leaning. It's time to get your back up off the wall. Let's pray.